Oh, I'll take a pause. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> the sound of you eating spaghetti is god awful on the mic. Uh, and you just spit it up, didn't you? You did. Oh, you're shoving it back in. Okay. Is that the was that the same bite that you spit up? Yo, why do you got to be recording that? <laughs> Press record as soon as you start choking on spaghetti. <laughs> it's yeah, it's my job. I mean, I got to know where the good stuff is, you know. No. Um, all right, I got to blow my nose. No, the spaghetti can't. Because <laughs> you have fucking red sauce in it? <laughs> yeah, yeah, because I didn't spit up the spaghetti. Instead, I held it in and it went into my no- nasal passage. Cold open. <laughs> Dude, are you fucking kidding me? Like, you're incapable of eating right now. <laughs> oh, again, twice in a row. Try to take the second bite, start spitting it up again. It's <laughs> because you know you're being so gross. <laughs> it's because, like, I can hear the slurping sound. Yeah, sounds. it sounds like a fucking Tim and Eric episode. <laughs> no, I'm going to say eating spaghetti is worse than juice box on mic. Yeah, yeah. That's, hands that's, da- hands down, spaghetti's at the top of the list of things you should not eat while recording a podcast. I'm gonna have to ask that you take one more big bite, maybe not even looking at the camera, because you're gonna <laughs> you're gonna fucking spit up again, and then you know hold out. You only have ten minutes left. That's what she said. Yeah, it sure is. Um, to, welcome, welcome to every Friday night of my college career. What video chatting with your girlfriend? No, having having a woman say that. <laughs> oh, God. Uh, I was listening to the Dan on Dan uh, crime episode yesterday with Rachel, and it got to the point, describe your sex life in a movie title. Okay. And mine was The Quick and the Dead. She did not appreciate that. <laughs> what did I say? But then you said um, something even worse, super bad. Oh. <laughs> so uh, Quick and the Dead was uh, uh, self-referential, whereas yours covered both you and your partner. So I think... <laughs> So I think I ended up looking better in this scenario. So thank you for that. That that helped me out. Do you, do you not think it's strange that you listen to our podcast with your significant other? Oh, she, well, we, we, on these long walks we've been going on, like it's putting on a podcast is fun and she's missed a bunch of episodes. So we're kind of filling in some of the gaps. She's been loving it, though. I mean, apparently we're really funny and talented. So let's keep this up. What do, you, what do you mean? Apparently, we knew that. That's why. That's why we started the podcast. If I knew that, I wouldn't spend my whole life striving for perfection. But yeah, I hear you. <laughs> um, so, ladies and gentlemen, uh, this is uh, a new world. Uncharted waters. Uh, this is going to be the first remote movie blues podcast transmission from us to you uh, during these questionable, dangerous, and honestly very sexual times that we're living in. Um, what? So uh, <laughs> we are here to bring people the content. That they are so demanding and the only way that we can do that is separately even though i brought dan Enden a mic yesterday which probably had my germs all over it so what's the difference anyway at this point who knows well i washed my hands furiously after i took it out i pureled the mic too i did not mention that but i, pure- <laughs> I pureled the mic so i and yeah, the bag, i pureled myself the bag that i delivered you the mic in has been in my closet since before the coronavirus so yeah i think they're saying uh like it can live on fabric for about three days Mm. So, so I figured I have a three-day window. <laughs> so we're good. Before um, it's safe to touch that bag. So yeah, we are uh, podcasting from the great beyond right now. And, um, and you know, we have some potential for interruptions. For instance, 25 minutes from now, likely Kat will be going on her lunch break and I'm right by the kitchen. Mm. So she will, she will pass by to put spaghetti onto a pot. And <laughs> at which point I will try to rope her into the conversation. Oh, nice. Okay. Yeah. Maybe I'll scream for Rachel when we start talking about the movies that uh, you enjoyed. 
we actually uh, we worked out ahead of time. We worked out a system. Depending on how busy she is, she's going to give me a gesture that's like, "Don't rope me into the conversation." <laughs> and I, 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 I suspect she's you. going to use that no matter what the situation yeah. is. I guarantee to you that even if afterwards she's sitting in a lawn chair, like taking a nap, that she's going to give you that signal. <laughs> yeah, um, and it's it's just occurred to me that since I have these headphones on, I've just been yelling. Yeah, me too. So secrets cool. out. Um, yeah. So, Mr. Dan Andin, um, I've missed you greatly. Um, unfortunately, I only have a small window to view you through now. Much as yesterday when I dropped you uh, your microphone off, <laughs> you were standing at the window, uh, breathing heavily against your glass door, looking like uh, a refugee about to be put in some sort of incinerator. So, um, wow, it was very sad seeing you yesterday, but also very, uh, very productive for our purposes but yeah you looked uh, you looked real sad it's, it's capitalism in a nutshell yeah you looked real sad and hairy which i am also as well and deeply need a haircut um the hair doesn't really grow on the front of my head anymore but on the back it's just like going outwards i've, 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 no, I've noticed that yes. i had noticed it previously but the light that your webcam is shining onto your forehead is really emphasizing your hairline yeah you wait hold on let me poke the shine yeah, yeah right there, right there. Yeah. well i have yeah. literally a spotlight over my head not all of us get the this the smoky mysterious vibe <laughs> that you are projecting to me yeah i'm i'm, ble- I'm blessed with- um my mother's side of the family's hair. Um, so, uh, yeah. Wow, what a what a gift that looks like it is. Um, so, <laughs> you, like, you like you like that? I do. Yeah. And, uh, this is an auditory medium, but uh, for the folks at home, Dan is quote unquote styling his hair right now. I'm uh, like, a, do you remember when we were kids? There was a kid show, a science show called Beekman's World. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm going for a Beekman vibe. You're going for the full Beekman. Yeah. Um, yeah. I you know give it a couple years. You know, I'm 32 or 33, so when you're my age, we'll see how many uh, crystals you still have. Which one? (laughs) I'm not sure. It's (laughs) it's just a blank zone that I put myself in. Uh, It's the in-between that I exist in. Um, Ah. So, my dude, here we are again. And uh, it is our job to not talk about the fact that the world is in shambles, that I had to wait in an hour-long line to go into Wegmans uh, the other day. Did you do that? Yeah, I had to. There's things I needed and I could not get from the internet or beyond. So it was like we wanted to do one final shop and and buy meat and really stock up on things. We started hearing about the meat shortage and things like that. We wanted to put ourselves in a good position. So we masked up, gloved up, and went to Wegmans where they're only letting in one couple at a time, basically. You stand six feet apart. Uh, There's arrows on the floor that direct you uh, the direction that you need to walk around the supermarket. Um, Fuck. And it's just very stressful and very bizarre. Um, It's weird times we're living in, but instead of talking about that, we're going to talk about the most important thing on Earth, and that's movies. Um, I mean, it's a a side piece by its very nature. We can talk about whatever we'd like. Yeah, we can. Today's Fiona Apple Day. That's my concern. Yeah. Why don't we uh, head off with Dan giving a review to Fiona Apple's new album, which he has been waiting for uh, with more bated breath than the Catholic Church has waited for Jesus's resurrection. Go ahead, Dan. Yeah, as well as the bated breath with which they've waited for little boys to enter them. <laughs> the boy, uh, the little boys enter them. <laughs> yeah, sometimes. Oh no, <laughs> that's an extra their, step. <laughs> their their mouths. Okay. <laughs> Sorry, Joan. Jesus See, Christ. <laughs> I need to get this out of the way before Kat comes down. She, she's one of them. She's one of them Catholics. Yeah. Suddenly you're going to start like not making any jokes whatsoever. I'm going to know exactly yeah, no, what's happening. If, if you see me go. <sighs> and, 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 and start talking about the Philadelphia City Council. Uh, delete. Um, okay. So 
Dan, uh, your favorite album came out this week. It uh, you gave it a ten out of ten. <laughs> so uh, what? No, no, Pitchfork gave it a ten out of ten. Yeah, and what are you giving it? A ten out of ten. Cool. <laughs> no, well, I, I, probably like a. I mean, a ten out of ten. Like, if her best album is a ten out of ten, I give it like a nine point seven. Gotcha. Yeah. Okay. So you're not putting it over like her her you know her classics. last album. Yeah. Okay. No, no, not even her classics. I think her last album is her best album. And how long has it been since her last album? Eight years. Jesus Christ. Well, wait, what, which one was the last one? That no, would be... No, uh, when the Pawn. The, There's been the a few. I, That would be the uh, the idler wheel is wiser than the turning of the right. screw. I mean, I, I'll put it out there. I do love Fiona Apple. My interest in Fiona Apple started as my interest for P.T. Anderson did because many of her music videos uh, during the height of her career, you could argue, were directed by P.T. Anderson and are incredible. Um, yeah, so they were dating at the time. Their relationship I've always found to be one of the most fascinating, pretty much two of the most fascinating artists yeah. to ever Talk live. Talk about an art- artsy household. I cannot imagine the arguments and discussions in that household. There was an article recently published about their chaotic relationship, which we don't need to go through now, yeah, but it was I can amazing. Only, I can only imagine the sex was joyless. Yeah. <laughs> it was the most sarcastic sex. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> it yes, was just so like, cynical. Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> um, so you give it a 10 out of 10. You thought it was very good. Is it? Um, it's it's not easy listening by any means. Well, that's it what is, I was going to ask is. you, because the things I like about Fiona Apple are really found in not only her songwriting, but also her backup band and just like the, her arrangements. Um, yes. I'm always worried with an artist like Fiona Apple or really like any artist in her caliber that they'll come out with an album that's more acoustic and more ethereal and kind of do away with the things that I like about music in general um so i'm curious to see if it's like uh, a songy type album or if it's like an no. artistic so, disaster type so album. i mean her the there's a very clear progression throughout her albums you know like her first album title which is what blew her up is i think her weakest effort it's a collection of just fine pop tunes it's a great album but love like, that album this is when the pawn hits what's that that's when the pawn hits no, that's a title. Oh, title. With yeah. like uh um, title with criminal. With criminal. I mean yeah. that is an incredible album, but Yeah. It's her debut. She also wrote recorded it when she was sixteen years old. And super um, hot. Yeah. Oh yeah. Uh, when the pawn was next and is incredible. Still right. you know, it got a that, little bit more layered and orchestral, but all the songs were very structured. Um, next came Extraordinary Machine which I also feel to be like a 10 out of 10. It's especially the, if you ever heard the original version that John Bryan recorded. Love John um, Bryan. John Bryan. Yes. Yeah, so they um, they recorded, he produced a whole album and then the record label uh, didn't like it because it was too dark. It had no singles. It was super weird, overly overly complex. That's so it, shit. They brought in a new producer and they re-recorded the entirety of it. Only two tracks from the John Bryan sessions made it onto the final album. Mm-hmm. Um, so for years, the the John Bryan version was circulating the internet, and it's just so good. The track order is completely different. It gives it. It starts with the darkest song on the album, whereas the official release starts with the most pleasant song on the album. Um, there's all sorts of like 50 piece orchestras and stuff like that, right. and. Uh, Recently, someone got those, like, had those files that have been circulating forever and did, like, a professional remaster job on it. Hmm. So it sounds just unbelievable. Cool. So, like, that is insane. But then she waited seven years and her last album, Idler Wheel, came out. And she was saying ahead of time, like, everything you like about the Fiona songs, like, the, you know, 
the structure what you were just talking about about she was going in the artsy direction like her last album has barely any piano on it um it's very percussive based Hmm. and at first listen I didn't care for it much at all and then over the years it's become my favorite album of hers so you would like really you would like in the new one to which style I um I think the new one is definitely a further extension of that but with a couple moments of some when the pawn feel type choruses in there okay um it's just it's so experimental I we Kat and I were listening to it last night and I turned to her and I said I don't know what genre of music we're listening to I can't classify it at all it's heavily percussive with massive choirs of her own vocals and a lot of really abstract she recorded the entire thing in her her house using like anything and everything as a percussive Hmm. instrument um and it is with that said it's very um there's a lot of songs and little one-liners about like rape and sexual assault and i know that you resent whenever women have feelings or opinions about things. <laughs> That's not true. Uh, <laughs> uh, but let's so, continue. So it might be a tough listen for you. No, I mean, I'm... I'm, I'm I don't want to turn this into a whole thing about that, but I, I, I am a very feminist, pro-feminist person. It's just my version of what that is. Like many people, is very different across yeah, the board. Yeah, totally. Um, I just uh, there are a couple tracks that I think you would describe as me tooy. Like um, the lead singer of Paramore just came out, uh, Haley Williams, with a solo album that is very Fiona-like. It's it's very alternative, and uh, the instrumentals are closer to Portishead or Radiohead than uh, than really anything that I've heard from her other band, but. Um, she has a lot of songs about sexual assault and abuse and stuff in there, and and, and I, I still like it. I still think it's very good. It's not overly preachy, whereas you have artists like, I know this won't relate to you because I don't know what your amount of knowledge is about it, but then you have artists like Taylor Swift, who when they make a song that has a message, they literally are beating you to beating fucking with with death it, yeah. with it. I'm fine with poetic ruminations on on topics that yeah. I may not resonate with, but I'm not okay with totally. like someone screaming. Uh, like she, uh, Taylor just came out with a video called uh, I think it's called The Man and in the video she's dressed and is uh, professionally special effects made to look like a man and she goes around doing sexually inappropriate things and acting like an asshole and it's just like yeah, uh, we get it, uh, you don't uh, need to hammer me over the this head with is, it. Some of some of these songs, there are lines that are just one off that are just harrowing. There's there's one line where she says, uh, you just tucked your daughter into, into the bed that you raped me. Oh, Jesus Christ. Yeah. What's up, Joe? Uh, yeah, so, but I mean, I would I would give it a listen. Joan, I mean, I right now, Joan is scrambling to Spotify. To yeah, um, Pitchfork gave it its first ten out of ten in years. Cool. I, uh, I I just didn't know what to make of it. It's a lot to unpack. It's one of those things like it's it's like you watch a PT Anderson movie. You gotta mm-hmm. sit there. Right. On first, on first listen, you're just so overwhelmed by someone having produced something in this medium that you're so familiar with and have all these expectations and just like it's so rare at this point in my life that I'm able to have any of those completely shattered and right it's rare that I'm listening to something and I'm like I don't know what the influence for this is I don't know what genre of music I'm listening to did Fiona Apple just create a new genre right and like going back and listening to her first album like this is the person who now 20 years later is making this it's like you you I don't know of any other artist who puts more of themselves into their music like you can tell she's a little bit crazy right and it's like it, it some of the vocal performances are harrowing well what's amazing too is that fiona's always kind of been that way and that her 
when she initially came out, there was so much resistance against her. Oh, yeah. Um, because she was a woman that was actually singing about her independence and her actual thoughts instead of just looking for a man and crying right. about it. Um, so uh, I'm going to use this as a point to do a little natural transition. We keep talking about P.T. Anderson. Um, now we're going to shift down into the movie world. And I think that one thing that we have to talk about is not only the things that we've been watching during the quarantine, which I know I shared pretty much a lot of mine uh, during the quarantine corner last week with Rachel. Uh, you haven't shared a lot of yours, but one of the things I'm going to bring up throughout this chat is that um, uh, we are now revisiting movies that either I loved from my past or thought were incredible, and we're looking at them through a new lens, kind of as a couple, kind of as two people that uh, no longer are like forlorn teenagers watching artsy movies. Now I'm an adult and I get to kind of judge things from a totally different perspective. Totally. Um, the first movie that I did that with over this break was Punch Drunk Love. Uh, we basically got around to that because we had watched uh, the movie that we were going to segue and talk about next, which is Uncut Gems. But we oh, were... this actually was one of my one of my responses to the quarantine cast was this topic. So cool. So go on. Uh, but we're going to start with Punch Drunk Love really quick, though. Uh, okay. What was Punch Drunk Love? So Punch Drunk Love, we we came around to because we watched Uncut Gems and we were talking about Adam Sandler uh, and his career renaissance, which has always been happening. It's just spread out. It's not like he's had one period of a career renaissance it's really like he's had spots throughout his career where all of a sudden he does something amazing and then yeah, goes back no, to being a Robert total Downey ass. Jr. had a career renaissance yes right Adam Sandler has sparks of his agent led him in the correct direction although I will say that if we are ambitious enough and we're doing a lot of recording in this format there is a movie that Robert Downey Jr. put out this year it's supposed to be one of the worst movies ever made um, it's one of the biggest losses per recoup of income uh that Disney has ever experienced, let alone Robert Downey Jr. Uh, that movie is Doolittle. Um, it's, oh, yeah. It's supposed to be so unbelievably bad. I've watched tons of reviews for it. Uh, maybe we'll get there, maybe not. Don't, you, don't you mean Doolittle? <laughs> Doolittle? Yeah. What are you talking about? They they took out the second O, so it's D-O-L-I-T-T-L-E. I don't, I don't think it ever had a second O, did it? In the original yeah. movie? Am, am I having a Berenstein Bears situation? This might be a Mandala effect, I'm not sure. Yeah. But, um, uh, long story short is uh, it's, a, it's the Mandela effect <laughs> that's why I said it that way um, okay. so uh, <laughs> welcome to the joke um, so long story short uh, Rachel had seen the movie before and really disliked it um, and was probably 12 or something when she saw it so I mean I can imagine I mean it's not pleasant <laughs> yeah I can't imagine many 12 year olds walked into that movie after knowing Adam Sandler and had anything but distaste for what they saw. Um, uh, besides me. Besides me. I happened to be a very artsy person back then. I loved P.T. Anderson. I was exactly 12. Yeah. Was, and I loved it. It was the first P.T. Anderson movie I was able to see in theaters uh, at the height of my obsession with him. So um, it was a really big deal for me. I thought it was absolutely incredible when I saw it. Um, and on this rewatch, I'm gonna pretty much agree with myself in that sentiment uh as an adult there were things about it that i just appreciated so much more his anxiety his tics his performance is just so nuanced and in the first 10 minutes of punch drunk love i saw more nuance from his performance than in all of uncut gems um i think that it's still his strongest performance um and the level of pathetic that he reaches in it. And the fact that P.T. Anderson saw that in him um, 
I don't know how he saw that in him, but he just did and exploited it. Um, and it's just a gorgeous movie. It is beautiful. It made me cry twice throughout it. I had tears in my eyes. It's just an incredible movie. I still think it's probably my favorite romantic comedy. I mean, to call it a romantic comedy is a disservice to it, to be honest, because it's... Besides going the distance. Besides going the distance. Honestly, that, that would be in the top five, I would assume. But, um... Yeah, I just uh, I was just blown away all over again by it. Uh, the music by John Brion uh, is again incredible. Um, the way that that music interacts with the harmonium that Adam Sandler's character finds is really creative and incredible. Uh, in the sense that, for example, I noticed things this time around. I never noticed like Adam Sandler. Uh, when he grabs the harmonium, starts playing the theme that will eventually be kind of the love theme between the two of yeah, them. Yeah, yeah, He starts playing it in the first two or three minutes of the movie. You hear him formulating it. Um, and I, I, I just was, you know, blown away. It's just so refreshing to watch a movie where you know the director has invested so much thought in every single detail and that everything is on purpose. Whereas, like, even the same director, if you go to The Master or Phantom Thread or maybe some parts of there will be blood some things are done and they are ambiguous in an artistic way that I do find satisfying but I don't fully get there are things about the master I don't fully get but with Punch Drunk Love I just absorbed understood every emotion being conveyed and just rode with it Uh, for me it's a 10 out of 10 uh, and it's just an incredible movie yeah uh, we rewatched Punch Drunk Love relatively recently, probably about eight or ten months ago. Um, I was in a similar boat. I saw it when it first came out, loved it. I probably watched it again, I don't know, maybe sometime in college, um, but had a, had a similar approach to it because I've been going through a similar thing of revisiting all these movies with just a totally different lens because when I'm a kid, Turns out I couldn't understand the emotional depth fully of Adam Sandler's character in that movie. Can I say something, Uh, too, about that, about what you just said, um, um, that I found really fascinating about this and Royal Tenenbaums, which is another movie we're going to talk about um, in terms of Oh, we're talking about all my favorite movies today. Um, Great. uh, The thing that uh, is different, I know I can say about me now than I was then. And this, this goes to Fight Club, this goes to Magnolia, this goes to so many movies. When I was younger, I was very desperate for love, like any passionate artistic person is when they're young. They're just like obsessed with love, and they're obsessed with like they want to be with someone, but you're too young, you don't really know what that means. So you have a tremendous amount of longing inside you. And it's very easy for movies like that to tap into that sense of longing. But I don't have that anymore. Like, I don't have this, like, bleeding heart that I used to have. So I thought maybe the way that I view certain relationships will be different. Turns out, for Royal Tenenbaums, it was very different. But for Punch Drunk Love, I still felt exactly the same about it. I still thought it was just such a beautiful love story, which, you know... uh, Oh, I wanted to introduce this new... uh, This new... um, phrase that we have in the Lions household, it's called the Rachel Paradigm. The Rachel Paradigm is where you watch a movie that you loved when you were younger, but now everything seems out of whack with the character relations because things are just so different. For example, when we watched Star Wars, Rachel was really miffed by Han Solo and Leia's relationship because 
Han Solo just is so forced, is is forcing himself so hard on her, and there really is no reciprocation going on until very late in the second movie. It's just right. him throwing himself at her in every single way. And for me, when I was a little kid, I was like, that's the love story of generations. But when I showed it to Rachel at 28, 29 years old, whenever we watched it a couple of years ago, she was like, that's a creep out relationship. I don't like that. So that's the Rachel paradigm is when you rewatch something and your lens has changed so much that you don't even see the crux of the movie anymore. It just doesn't even make sense in some ways. Um, right. But uh, this this didn't have that at all. I loved it. And uh, so uh, you, you also felt the same way per your rewatch a couple years ago. Yeah, um, well, so watched it, like, probably, again, like, ten years ago, but then I Kat had never seen it, so we watched it Mm semi-recently, and first we re-watched Magnolia, which, Magnolia was a film that the first time I saw it, I absolutely hated. Really? It changed my entire life. My entire life. The ending of Magnolia, I just despise. With that said, in retrospect, a huge amount of that was definitely influenced by the fact that the only reason I went to see it was because Kevin Smith was, like, publicly trashing it so hard. What? Yeah. Fuck him. In the first evening with Kevin Smith, he tells a whole story about how he was um, he was publicly trashing Magnolia and um, then ended Good job. up... And then as he was going to... Uh, pre-production for Jersey Girl they make you get a, a physical and there's like a physical there's like a doctor that does the physical for directors and he went and he was in the waiting room with Paul Thomas Anderson uh, like right after he had been going all over just like shitting on Paul Thomas Anderson's filming style for like the previous year oops and it's it's a pretty funny story where he's like PTA was just like a really just like perfect guy to him just like so nice yeah. and then but he was like paranoid that he was gonna come back and hit him over the head with a chair and shit um, but Regardless, Magnolia's notwithstanding, Punch Drunk Love, I felt the same thing. I was shocked that anyone would choose Adam Sandler for that role, and I thought it was incredible. Um, You mentioned on the last podcast that I didn't love Uncut Gems. I did feel that his character was cartoony, and I feel like the way that everyone's describing his Uncut Gems performance is really how I feel about his performance in Punch Drunk Love. I agree. We we rewatched it recently. And I just, I loved it more. I love it. Like, I would have given it a 10 out of 10 10 years ago, and now I give it a 12 out of 10 because I appreciate it so much more. And I still relate to just, like, his, his, like, there, there's such a despair-ridden sense of, like, cynical hope in him. There's, like, that, like, that, that romantic can't be beaten out of him by circumstance. Right. And I just... Once he discovers that those feelings are within him and that he is better than a person who would have to call a, a, you know, a sex line or a person who would have to uh, lie and grovel and embarrass themselves, to be honest with their partner. I mean, once he gets his power, it is just the scene where he whips everybody's ass at the truck uh, with the with the metal bar. And he's just his movement is so fluid and dance like it's just gorgeous. I mean, you just don't you don't see movies like that. They just don't fucking exist anymore. They harken back to a time when movies had colors like that, characters like that, um, uh, musical interludes like that. um, And it's just classic Hollywood. Just such a such a good era for films. I was very glad to see that he had won. Best director at Cannes Film Festival for that because I really felt like not that it was an underrated movie, but when people hold up his filmography, that's for sure not the first one they go in on. Um, 
for me, Magnolia has always been his best, but as the years go on, uh, it's not exactly kind to Magnolia. There are some kind of dated aspects to it. Um, again, though, his in, in his inclination to pick actors who are maybe not perfect for the role, uh, you know, Magnolia, Tom Cruise in Magnolia is something to behold. Um, yeah, yeah. And, yeah. and so big props to... Uh, American legend P.T. Anderson for doing his job right, but also at the same time, yeah, I mean, Magnolia is a, a troubling film for a lot of people. For me, Dude. the first 10 minutes of Magnolia was very stuck in my mind, and throughout the whole movie, I was sitting there wondering, I still remember for two hours wondering, why were they showing us random circumstances and extremely random events that happen to people throughout time. How is this an example of that? And the whole movie I'm watching, waiting to see how that would uh, kind of play with the first five, ten minutes of the movie where they're setting it up to be this grand, coincidental, insane moment. And when the frogs fell, I knew that that was what it was. But to many people, they literally were like, what the fuck is going on? To me, it was like, oh, okay. The movie starts with three or four examples of extreme circumstances of coincidence affecting people. And that's what this is. But for two and a half hours, it's just how clear that is to you is how you're feeling as you watch the movie. I mean, it's easy to get lost in a movie that is three fucking hours long. Yeah. I mean, I was going to say, so on our recent rewatch, I much... I went from hating Magnolia to really liking Magnolia, but still not caring for the ending. Wow. Okay. Um, but you made a comment earlier about how when you watch these movies when you were younger and you just like you're, you're you're craving this love, and you now in this at this age, um, thirty two or thirty three, mm-hmm. you don't have that same perspective. You you don't be you don't feel like that person or relate to it in the same way. Whereas you don't. That's not how you actually become. Whereas. Uh, I forget the word you used. Um, I think you said the idea was that, like, your sense of longing and yeah, the existence longing. in relation to people is is much more grounded in reality. Right. Where the you're much less, uh, you're you're much less um, like a character in the Royal Tenenbaums, and much more Philip Seymour Hoffman in Happiness. Sure. I mean, I'm, I've always been Philip Seymour Hoffman in <laughs> Happiness. I've always always been the library book in Squid and the Whale. <laughs> so, um, I think we both love a movie that everybody loves. Um, let's transition into talking oh, wait, about. Hold on, I want, I want, to, I want to say that when I showed Magnolia to Neef and his girlfriend at the time, I put that on. It was her last night before moving, and she said she wanted to watch a really good movie. So I put Magnolia on, and she cried so much, and everyone was really mad at me that I picked such a dark movie. <laughs> I mean, dude, it's a good one. I mean, what do you, yeah. what do you want? That's good. Um, okay. Okay, so now we're going to move on to talking about uncut gems for a minute or two. We've kind of already touched on it a little bit. Um, uh, here's what I'll say about uncut gems, just in reference to what you were saying about Sandler's performance. Is it the best Adam Sandler performance? No, I think we just determined that it's not possible to beat Punch Drunk yeah. Love. But, you know, just like any actor, you're allowed to have a couple amazing performances under your belt. Um, yeah, totally. You know, for every Marlon Brando, you know, there's an Adam Sandler. So uh, <laughs> um, I, I just feel like, um, was it his best performance? No. But uh, once I kind of... I just feel like that character wasn't so much of a stretch for him. The voice no, was wasn't. like one step away from no. an SNL voice. He honestly was more himself than anything in this one. He was not the caricature that I expected from the trailers and the promotional um, material. But 
I want to look at it like a movie instead of like playing this like what is this the best Adam Sandler thing? And for me, no, it was the a best Adam Sandler movie. movie is Airheads. Exactly. Um, for me, I thought it was a perfect movie. Uh, a lot of the time, for me, perfect movies end uh, in ways that are unexpected and in ways that are poignant. Sometimes I'm able to forgive the first the trappings of the rest of the movie if it can have a strong ending I don't know what it was about the end of Uncut Gems I'm not going to spoil it because uh, I highly suggest anyone watching it but um, it kicked me in the fucking nuts and uh, I don't really feel like I need to rewatch it this second I don't remember it even very well in terms of plotting but what I can what I can say very Dude, confidently that's because there isn't really much of a no. plot the plot can be explained in two sentences right there's a gem <laughs> yeah, no, this Adam Sandler is a fucking idiot who keeps owes people money and in, right. gets the money. Adam Sandler keeps, like, lucking his way into winning the lottery and proceeding to piss the lottery money away um, for the, two hours. The tension, I thought, was super palpable, and I just was riveted by just just the entire production. So, I mean, is it a 10 out of 10 for me? No, I, I would probably... You just said it was a perfect movie. Well... It felt it felt perfect in the sense that I wouldn't change anything about it. There was nothing I felt lacked in it whatsoever. Um, I I don't know. I mean, maybe the fact that I'm not like dying to rewatch it or buy it. I mean, maybe there's something to be said about that. So I'm gonna revise and say it's a near perfect movie. I would give it like a nine out of ten. I, I really did enjoy it. Um, I think everybody should see it. I don't think that it sucks in any regard so you know yeah no i don't think it sucks in any regard i just i give it like a seven i enjoyed it hmm. okay I just, uh, you know it's like it has like the pacing of lock stock and two smoking barrels without being as good or as full of tension as lock stock and two smoking barrels hmm. and it's got that 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 gr- everything's very gray and gritty look that there were moments where i felt like the uh, the stakes were so just absurd. Like, after the first time that he fucks himself... Like, ten minutes into the movie, he's in a situation where there could be no conflict to the movie because he solved it effortlessly. And rather than do that, he just keeps fucking himself. Yeah. So I'm like, all right, at that point, I don't care about the character's success anymore. I like, hear you. Like, I was no longer rooting for him because I'm just like, you're an idiot. Like, like miracles are happening at every moment to save your ass yeah. and do the wrong thing each time. But here's the thing. That's what people who have the problems that he have do. And while it is frustrating to watch, there there's no end to the amount of people who, when they gamble themselves out of a situation, take that money and try to double it. That's, yeah, no, that's the I definition know. of being I, I, a fucking gambling addict. I mean, I, I know some people, or I know a person who falls in that category. I am trying to justify it, though. I do feel as if you are correct in the sense that some of the t- things that he did, no person would go any further um, because no. he did have so many outs. Um, but it was for that reason, it was outs fun. where the alternative was being murdered. Yeah. Like, or like having was, his whole family murdered. Like, right? he, yeah, like he was like <laughs> being held out of a building window and still that was not enough for no. him to just like <sighs> succeed. I wish I could talk about the end, but I, I'm not going to. I know, what, what, it's tough. What I do want to say about the end that references to what we're talking about now, though, without spoiling anything, is that the frustration that you felt with his character 
other characters felt as well. Yeah. Um, where he's got uh, a, a couple of characters in a bad situation and you can feel how much they hate him and how oh, yeah. much they disapprove of his decision making. And for some reason to have that other voice there saying, wow, look how fucking wrong this is, even from people who are thugs and pieces of shit as well. They're yeah. even looking at him like, dude, you're out of your fucking mind. That felt like it grounded it. And I felt like. Okay, and then with the re- resolution of the movie, I felt that it paid off everything that he had done. It just all made sense. So um, it felt very well-rounded and just an incredible movie. I'm definitely looking forward to anything from uh, the Safdie brothers again, who are the directors, while I don't give a shit what Adam Sandler does. He could never do another good movie, and I would be fine with it because I, I, I ostensibly do not give a shit about him, but I know he's capable of good work. But hey, when you, I mean, when you at make the end his- of the day, we were both Jewish boys who grew up in the 90s, and you have you can't say you don't give a shit about Adam Sandler. I don't. I, I did not I like Happy Gilmore. I was not a fan of Big Daddy. All those movies I saw in theaters and I laughed at once. But I had friends you in my like private school. Big Daddy. I had a friends in my private school that literally only spoke in Adam Sandler lines to each other. And I just did not think he was that funny. And I'll just be honest. Big I mean, Daddy is just a good movie. When I was a kid. It's got Jon Stewart. I was really into my... I was really fucking stuck up about shit already and I when I saw um, Happy Gilmore especially I just did not think it was very fun I thought it was very immature and I think that most of his movies still are very immature and I just don't like them I'm not really a fan of Adam Sandler honestly I uh, I own not a single one of his movies besides Punch well, Love so I was always it was a, my probably my first hot takes ever were that I don't care for Happy Gilmore and don't love Billy Madison but I like Billy Madison more. I, I, I loved his albums growing up. Me they too. Were Me too. I did love his albums. And I loved him on SNL. Yes. And, I agree with that too. And I think Little Nicky is hysterical. But, you know, we're talking about his movies, and that's what really his career has and, become. And B- Big Daddy's good, and Waterboy is hilarious. Waterboy and Little Nicky are really stupid movies, though. Like, truly L- dumb movies. Little Nicky is hysterical. Hmm. I wouldn't agree with that. that I thought that holds up. I thought that was honestly one of his worst. Still think it's one of his worst. I think it's hilarious, man. Um. So yeah, I mean. Uh, I mean, it's it's no it's no rain over me. I do want to recommend. What is it? Sandy Wexler on on Sandy Netflix. Wexler, I yeah. love that. That was funny as hell. Um, I didn't watch that. Really. No. That was like uh, classic Sandler, like old school Adam Sandler funny. Yeah, uh, you and Harrison have both told me to watch that. <laughs> it was really good. <laughs> you might like it more than Uncut Gems, honestly. <laughs> it was very funny. I uh, <laughs> I just don't get he, he just keeps making so many movies, and they all just look fine. I mean, he's got this production company that has a deal with Netflix. It's like four movies a year. And back yeah. when he was making things like Grandma's Boy and stuff like that out of his production company... He was struggling. What is that? Happy Madison. Happy Madison. I know he was struggling because he was putting a lot of those movies into theaters and they were just dying DOA. I mean, Grandma's yeah. Boy was literally DOA. Yeah, um, but that's because those movies aren't good. Well, Grandma's, Grandma's Boy is Boy's good, incredible. But, yeah. um, but uh, all those movies are horrible uh, and Grown Ups and Grown Ups 2 and all that, it's terrible. So, I mean, he's he's made louded trash in between but, yeah, one good funny, movie. Fu- funny people. <clears throat> I love Funny People. Funny People is incredible, and Funny People: The Extended Cut. People watch that. Oh yeah, oh, I love it. I yeah. love Funny. Unbel- that's a good performance. People too. walked out of that movie and were like, "Why was that movie so long?" I was like, "Why was that movie so short?" I think that's far and away Judd Apatow's best film. That is debatable, but I would I would say that I, mostly from the perspective that it failed and flopped and got critically panned. I cannot believe that it got panned. I think 
That movie's so good. It, it manages to be a good performance from everyone from whom you wouldn't expect a good performance right. while also being hilarious in the moments it needs to be, while also being heartbreaking in the moments it needs to be. Right. Like, it's that's a good film, man. Um, you want to move on to Hot Take Town? Sure. You ready to throw a little hot sauce into the equation? And I mean something spicier than trough. Are are you gonna lead me, or do you think I have one prepared? Oh, I have I have two that I think will not sit with you well. I was okay. Well, first you you did tell me, and I made a note to myself to you told me to remind you to talk about something. And then as I went to open the file, I accidentally deleted it, and I don't know what it is. I think I know what. I mean, I I have two two things I want to talk about, but is there anything you want to uh, get into? I've I've been leading the charge here, but is there anything you want to talk about from... uh... No, I mean, I most wanted to talk about Fiona Apple, Okay. and uh, we did that. And and, and by uh, the way, I'm going to listen to it, too, and then we're going to talk about it again. You should listen to it twice before we talk about it again. Okay. It's a lot, dude. It's it's not an easy. I listen. get it. No, I mean I I've got advanced ears. I can do things like that. Yeah, so it's like uh, when you hear a new Radiohead album and you're just like, what the fuck was that? And yeah, then like that's how I feel about every Radiohead album. <laughs> um, okay. Still, um, I don't know. We we watch. We haven't watched anything exciting. We've watched like 50 episodes of Jeopardy. And uh, yuck. So it's so I'm so good at it. You're so and, good uh, at the game of Jeopardy, is what oh, I said. Oh yeah, okay. yeah, yeah. I, I just love it. We okay. watched uh, we watched Zombieland Double Tap, right? And that was hilarious. Okay. I, I, I give it like an eight out of ten. I thought thought it was great. Eight out of ten. Cool. Yeah. And uh, we've been watching, you know, some. We watched the piano, and that was rough. Mm-hmm. Um, more Harvey Keitel nudity. Why is so. every uh, movie that has piano somehow in the title horrifying? I know. Like, I know. The, like the, the pianist. The pianist. Uh, yeah. The piano. Uh, what's the one with the dick? Oh no, that's that's the jazz singer. No wait. What's the one with the girl who has a dick? Uh, the jazz boys singer. don't cry. No, it's the jazz singer. <laughs> uh, the jazz singer. The movie where like they pitched it that it was going to be this like movie about this girl being a jazz singer, and the entire movie goes by. It's an incredible riveting yeah. drama, and at the end she pulls her pants down and has a dick. And it, uh, audiences at the time literally lost their mind. I wanted to think that that was something piano. I, I, the piano? Yeah, the Play. jazz singer is a classic. No, I that's think not the, wrong. Jazz singer's I, wrong. The jazz singer, I believe, was uh, like the first uh, talkie. Let me see. Oh, no, wait. I'm in, air, I'm in airplane mode. Mm. This is going to be really good content for the show. Yeah. Um, I just Googled movie where girl is a boy. <laughs> and it is not coming up. And, and ten of those movies came out in 2019. Um, <laughs> um, mm, yeah, this is not working. I guess I'll have to get back to you on that one. It's a very famous movie. All right. Well, while Dan's looking, I'm, I'm going to describe. Today I'm wearing the Dan Enden collection. Got right. a nice uh, flannel, flannel shirt. Here um, we have some plaid pajamas. We have. A Kiss T-shirt. That's the rock and roll band Kiss. Um, the crying be... game. Fuck. Oh, that's so funny. We're watching. Like, I just. We're, we're, that's uh, <laughs> on my list for us to watch this weekend. Actually. All right, well, I just. Is, it, is that what happens at the end? Yes, Fuck. She has a penis. That's the end of the movie. <laughs> it's funny. So the reason you thought about that, I feel like deep in your memory, is in uh, in Jane Saw Bob Strike Back. He's like Mirror Max. I thought they only make classy pictures, like the crying game or the piano. <laughs> <laughs> um. 
Yeah, okay, well... We almost made it through an episode without a Kevin Smith reference. Or a reference to some sort of he-she. Yeah. (laughs) Um, Okay, so uh, we ready to move on, spice things up a little bit? Let's let's spice them up. Okay. Okay, so I'm going to start with a medium spicy take and follow that with slightly spicier take. Um, Medium spicy take for me was uh, I watched the movie High Fidelity for the first time on VHS. Oh, that's what I was supposed to remind you about. Right. I watched High Fidelity for the first time on VHS, and what a stinker that movie is. You think High Fidelity is a bad movie? Not a bad movie. Not a bad movie. Well, there's a lot to be said about the way that it's actually put together. Um, Dylan's Dylan's fucking banging on his car, his truck's steering wheel right now. I mean, problem number one is it's dated, which I can accept. Okay, like, let's look at a movie. I'm going to try to think of a movie that's even somewhat similar. Uh, The most similar movie that I can think of off the top of my head would be Annie Hall in terms of high fidelity. You're looking at one guy who's neurotic, who has a slew of relationships, none of which are particularly central, and you're kind of just watching pastiche pieces of his life in these relationships as he talks about them, etc. Um, I just felt that it was just kind of locked in this 90s pretension, a very chauvinist male, disrespectful to women, just very dated in its approach. Uh, Jack Black was you like he came on screen (laughs) like five minutes into what okay so Jack Black has certain aspects of him that are not like you that are like really pathetic and just like whatever to his character but thank you but his attitude in the first like 10 minutes of the movie where he's like disrespecting customers uh being as pretentious about music as you could ever imagine while also having terrible opinions about it um (laughs) he comes into the store and wildly throws in a mixtape the music on which is horrendous and he's like (laughs) screaming at the top of his lungs to his employees to listen to it it all felt like i was just like watching suddenly you had entered this movie that i was watching and i immediately it was like, oh God, like how many times has Dan Endon talked about this movie? Is he talked about it a lot? I don't know if he's ever mentioned it, but he's in it. I don't know what the deal is. <laughs> um, it just like upset me. I was like, wow, this is like Dan must have watched this when he was a, a prick about music, which has been his whole life. So whenever he saw it, <laughs> uh, it resonated, guaranteed. And um, he must have watched it and been like, yeah, that's the fucking dude right there. Like, that's like, that's my hero. Like, I don't know what, but it, uh, his character was very Dan Endon. It felt very from the Dan Endon verse. Felt very, the whole movie <laughs> felt like if Kevin Smith made just one extra comedy in the 90s, whereas just like pop culture references I didn't like, opinions I thought were terrible, uh, emphasis on making fun of squares and making fun of people that didn't like the things they liked. I, it just like made me sick. Now, if I watched it when I was in the 90s, I would have loved it. I mean, dude, that's my bread and butter, like pretentious male, like artsy, like I'm better than ever, whatever. That would have appealed to me as an adult. I was like, John Cusack's a fucking asshole. All of his girlfriends are nice to him and he's a fucking asshole to them. Um, and I just thought that he's a terrible boss. I just thought that he was an annoying narrator. It's just like, it's just a grating movie to watch. It just was annoying to watch. And I didn't care who he ended up with. I didn't think he deserved any of the women that he was with. Um, every time he like had a decent thing he could do, he instead just like walked away and talked to the camera and like moaned about how horrible his <laughs> life is, having a job, a business, uh, six of the hottest women in the world to fuck in his memory and beyond. It's just like, fuck you, asshole. That's how I felt about High Fidelity. I'd give it a five out of ten. Wow. 
Five out of ten. I mean, well, what is good about High Fidelity? I mean, I understand I it could have been honest in the 90s. And if you saw it in the 90s, you must have been like, you know, if you were in your 20s in the 90s and in the music scene, I'm sure it was great. But it is totally an artifact out of time. I now. know the last time I watched High Fidelity was freshman year of high school. Right. Yeah. So. So, so I like in my recollection, it's a great movie. Sure. <laughs> I'm sure. And, I'm sure it is. Dylan talks about it all the time. I think it's one of his favorites. Ouch. Sorry, Dylan. Um, so I'm going to rewatch it, but I do recall finding Jack Black's character hilarious. Uh, it, it was all just very Kevin Smithy. I didn't see the beginning, but felt as if it had to be produced by Miramax. High fidelity, probably. <clears throat> um, I also freaked out last night. We were going to go start a new episode of the absolutely fantastic show Legion on FX, and an ad ran for a new TV show of High Fidelity, uh, which is coming out. All episodes oh, yeah. are now streaming. Oh, yeah, I knew about that. I was, like, watching the ad, and this, the, I think it's, like, Lenny Kravitz's daughter or whatever. She's like... Um, Oh, who are your top five this and that? Who are your top five this and that? I'm like, wow, this sounds like that annoying fucking pretentious movie I watched. And then it was like, high fidelity, all episodes streaming. I was like, what? Oh my God, what is happening? Because I just picked it out. I have it on VHS from some hall that I got. And I was like, I'll finally watch this. And I just did not like it. So that that one did not uh, pass the Rachel paradigm. That one did not feel right. But I, right. But as I watched it, I knew that if I had seen it at the time, I knew that if... I were in a very different headspace. It would have resonated with me a lot. But as an adult, like, yeah, if I walk into a record store and say, hey, can I get a Duran Duran record? And some guy goes, you mean the Smiths? I'm going to fucking kick them in the cock because, like, I just don't. It, yeah, no, that's that's not me. I don't like being told. Uh, I'm, I'm especially very As a frequenter of record stores, I, I'm very, very serious about my record store etiquette. I am not like that. Yeah, I mean, how rude. Like, Jack Black was so fucking rude in that movie, and it just was, like, so silly, because I know the idea is, like, oh, it's the 90s, like, fuck the man. Like, a guy walks in in a suit in one point, and he goes, yeah. hey, I, there's a record I want to buy for my daughter. It's her birthday. And Jack Black goes, fuck you, Square. Yeah, right. I'm like, Never mind the fact that it's the 90s and record store clo- record stores were closing by the dozen weekly. Like, you desperately and need that man's business. What yeah, are the you doing? The entire industry is dying because people like me were in there just crate digging for a 50 cent Gene Simmons solo album. If a man in a suit walks into your record store in 1999, you better sell him everything. Like, it's not the 80s you know, anymore. Like, I don't know if it, it was based on a book. Sorry, burping. I didn't know if it was based on a book. It felt like it was. Um, it does seem. Um, it it, it kind of plays out like a play or a book, um, which is not my favorite way to watch a movie. But um, uh, yeah, I mean, I don't know, man. I mean, I. I it, it is indeed a book. Yeah. So it, it felt. It's a, it's a British novel. It felt like the book. And now, correct me if I'm wrong. I know you're looking at the page. Was it written in the 80s? Yes. Okay. So now let me just say that this makes fucking perfect sense. Wait, because no, I lied. I lied. I lied. Oh. It was up. I'm sorry. Well, it just... Ni- ha- n- 95. Okay, never mind. Well, I was going to say that it does have this, like, anti-yuppie rhetoric in it where it's just, like, felt dated. It, like... 
Yeah, uh, while John while John Cusack was already like forty. Like records cost at this point in the nineties still like thirty five, forty dollars. So I don't know. No, no, no. Records were nothing in the nineties because no one bought them. Records are, that's how much they cost now. Right. So now they would love to have people in suits coming in. <laughs> now, now they do. Now it's the only people who can come in. Are Those are yuppies. the people who can afford the speaker quality required to get the most out of your vinyl. Okay, so that was hot take number one. Any other uh, reaction Is, to that? I didn't feel that was all that hot of a take. I said it was medium. That was a mild yeah. wing sauce. Yeah. The next one is literally fucking terrible. Yeah, a scorched earth take. This one is going to be the last round of hot ones. <laughs> when, the, when the celebrities are like crying and mucus is coming out of their nose. <laughs> okay, okay. <laughs> so are you ready to move to that? Um, yeah. All right, is this going to be about the Royal Tenenbaums? Yes. Okay, with that being said, it's time to trash a masterpiece. <laughs> um, I'm like, I'm so not <laughs> mentally prepared for whatever it is you're about to do. Okay, here's the thing. I'm going to get a couple things right off wait, the bat. Wait, 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 right off the bat. Should we both list our top five favorite movies? Are they all going to be just Royal Tenenbaums? Because I feel like you're about to slaughter one of them. <laughs> <laughs> all right, so yeah, I mean, to be upfront, this isn't Dan's top five favorite movies this i would say it's my number two this has been it's his number two great this is not gonna go well for me um so uh geez where to where to start on this so um for me i'm going to give my quick history with it um for me royal tenenbaums when i first saw it was like my favorite movie of all time um for many years it had great and and reaching effects on my brain um I felt when I first saw it as if it was a quirky, artsy, beautiful world that was kind of created that was huge. That had all these different stories, moving parts. Uh, you know, they would cut to things and it would be like, oh my God, now we're like in a concert hall. Now we're seeing this part of their history. Now we're seeing. It just felt like this amazing, comprehensive experience with all these different characters, fantastic actors. Um, for me, uh, Going back to that sense of longing, uh, I felt that so terribly about Margot Tenenbaum, Gwyneth Paltrow's character. I felt as if uh, Richie Tenenbaum's ca uh, love for her was so palpable and like broke my heart to watch. Um, when he slits his wrist to needle in the hay, I mean, that literally broke me in half. The first hundred times I've seen the movie, whatever, I mean, that scene was horrifying to me and I just like um, am so moved by the Royal Tenenbaums and was always so amazed by it and then I let about 10 years go by and I let Wes Anderson make a lot of really good movies and um, I've seen what he's capable of oh there's there's our boy Lester calling in from the hotline Lester how you doing <laughs> give me one Lester. bark give me one bark if you're not being abused Great. Good, good job, Dan. <laughs> you look like a dick now. Um, so, uh... Yeah, and I said, shut that fucking mouth. <laughs> <laughs> um, I'm, so, I'm sorry, what was that? <laughs> the following segment is brought to you by PETA. Um, yeah. So, uh, yeah, I mean, for me, it was like an artistic wet dream, uh, the Royal Tenenbaums, and that was my old take of it. 10 out of 10, Golden Guns. My current take of it has shifted not greatly to the point where I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's a bad movie. I'm not going to sit here and tell you that it's even on the lower spectrum of bad movies, but I will tell you that it does not hold together 
nearly the way that it used to for me uh, for a variety of reasons. Um, I'm gonna start with aesthetically. Uh, the color palette is noxious in the Royal Tenenbaums. It's incredible. I do not know the last time you saw it in HD through Criterion recently. Uh, probably about two months ago because I watched the movie regularly. It The saturation of the film oh, it's is gorgeous. so ugly and so dated. No. Um, it's got this, like right around the 2000s. You have this whole, you have this whole thing with disliking movies on future watches because they look dated because they look reflective of the time period in which they're set it's ludicrous no well not true for this because the first film of all itself does not look dated no, the film looks incredible wrong so first of all let me uh rephrase what uh i was trying to say back then you were calling me out on saying that i'm always complaining that movies are dated let me make an important distinction about this one though uh in that regard this movie, first of all, does not look like it was shot in the early 2000s or made in the early 2000s. That is not why it feels dated. What I was saying is the effect that they used in post-production on the film is a very dated effect that had come out and was being kind of integrated into movies around that time. It's a sepia, I mean, not a sepia, it's like a saturation that is so thick that I just... I felt like I was like watching the entire movie through a glass of orange juice when I knew that it was not necessary that it'd be that way. Because the production design, the actors, the costumes, all of that does a perfect job of this timeless, weird 70s, 60s, otherworldly Wes Anderson aesthetic. Whereas that color filter was just so obnoxious. I mean, I'm not saying this is what ruined the whole thing. I'm just starting with the basics. Um, I never noticed how bad that was until I just rewatched it and was like, literally thought my TV settings were off for a second because it was so awful to look at. No, um, I know what you're talking about. I, I just, I like, I like how that looks. Um, all right, let me move on to kind of the crux of a couple things that bothered me about the movie this time around. Um, the first Gene, is Gene Hackman saying, I'll, I'll talk some jive. <laughs> I'll talk some jive. I love Gene Hackman uh, in this movie. He's incredible. He's, in fact, and his character arc is the really the saving grace of this movie. Because I mean, he is the royal Denimbaum right. in question, the titular character. However, when I rethought about the movie, I never thought about it as his story. I actually really thought about it mostly as the kids... Uh, the central three kids story and their relationships, which if you were to take a pen and paper and statistically find out what is on screen in the Royal Tenenbaums, I would assume the story of the three kids takes up way more time than Royal story. But since I found their plot lines so stupid this time around, I, I maybe as an adult, I, I felt more akin to watching Royal as the person bringing me through the movie than the kids. When I was a teenager and I watched the movie, I'm relating to Richie and Margot. I have that sense of longing that I was talking about. The relationship between... Because you wanted to bang, bang my sister. sister. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, So now, getting into that, this is your the most si your, si your sister walks out of her bedroom and there's just wind going through the hallway and you're playing these days from Nico over the loudspeaker. <laughs> <laughs> what else is new? Um, <laughs> I didn't have a sister, so I just did that with my mom. Um, <laughs> um, so uh, you're, you're like Henry and Henry's brother. <laughs> I'm definitely like Henry and his brother. Um, so uh, my issue this time, really, man, boiled down to Richie and Margot's relationship, which when I was younger and watched the movie, 
I thought was this kind of like forbidden love, angsty masterpiece. Uh, this time around, I thought it was really stupid and unfounded and didn't make much sense. Uh, on every conceivable level. Every way I tried to get my brain around it, it did not make sense. So, like, for example, um, like, when he, he attempts suicide over her, right? At that point, she's already been remarried to another guy for years. He's gone off and sailed the world because he's so sad about it. Um, and he comes back and what? Because Eli Cash had sex yeah. with her? He then wants to commit suicide, um, which I think is absurd because two seconds afterward, he has a conversation with Margot where she's just like, yeah, I love you. It's just is the way it is. Just feels like a real human being would want to have that conversation before running off and, and emotionally trying to commit suicide. It just was like something about their whole relationship. A, felt gross this time around. B, felt disingenuous. And C, I just did not relate to it. I felt like it was a, a, two people that shouldn't have been they are together. Not, they are not supposed to be relatable characters. It is showing just like the extreme damage that having parents like Gene Hackman's character is. Like they're just the most I, absurd I don't think that they, characters. I don't think that they go into that theme very strong at all. I've, n- I've never seen as a, seen the movie as anything other than the story of Royal Tenenbaum and all of the all of the side things involving the kids those what those threads are just to give a picture of of what becomes of these kids of generational wealth and it's all to just reflect upon royal and royals royal like royals failures much earlier than the timeline in the movie I'll, I'll give it to you that that is a very interesting take um, it's never how I saw the movie I saw it more as a story about a generally dysfunctional family in which almost every member of the family is dysfunctional and not any of it was really particularly caused by Royal, but I do see that now it makes perfect sense. Yeah, it's called the Royal Tenenbaums. They are all they are all encompassed by his narcissism it, it, and that, the results of it. That is a, an interesting way of looking at it. Um, I don't think that it is stated well enough for me personally as a viewer because... There's so much other noise happening in the movie that I'm trying to latch onto that it just wasn't what I was really thinking about. Um, I feel that. Um, so I guess it's just like a matter of takes. I just found this time around that it was just not as emotional or, or genuine as I remembered it being. And whereas I had just watched Punch Drunk Love and like cried like a baby, Royal Tenenbaums was a movie that really used to tug at my heartstrings. And yeah. I, I felt next to nothing watching it. I mean... Ben Stiller's character is very... I understand his motivations at some level, but, like, the movie starts with him, like... And, again, I don't want to try to ascribe perfect logic to a Wes Anderson movie. That shouldn't be what anyone does with a Wes Anderson movie, but the motivations of the characters I found just ridiculous this time around. Like, his, he thinks his house is so unsafe... Um, in the beginning, and he's running this, you know, drill to get his kids outside, and they don't get out fast enough... And his reaction is to move into, like, his old house, like, with his family, who he absolutely he's having, hates. He's having, having a mental a mid- break. Crisis. He's having a mental break because his wife died. I know, and they say that. And I understand that he could be acting irrationally, but they set the character up to being... He's being overly cautious. Yeah, but moving to his parents' house is not an overly cautious thing to do. It's less cautious. No, well, he wasn't going to move there until they find out that, the de- that Royal's sick. No, he moved there before then, A, and B, he says, they, she says, why are you moving here? Isn't this less dangerous 
And yeah. he said something to the effect of, um, uh, I don't remember, man. He had like an explanation for it, but just Rachel and I looked at each other. We were like, wait, that what? That doesn't make any fucking sense. Like, I mean, he's completely on the outs with his family. I understand maybe subconsciously as a character, he wants to reconnect with his family because he's having a, a total crisis. Yeah. But that isn't stated at all in the movie. He goes through the whole movie hating his when family. When has there ever been in a, in a Wes Anderson movie something like that being so stated? It's about... I don't need it like, spelled out. You, I need to feel watch, it. And I did not feel those connections. You don't need to hear it exposition in Rushmore to know all the fucking absurd neuroses that the character of Max has. But again, like, just like I said about A Punch Drunk Love, that's a movie that I, I I can feel every beat. I know why things are happening and they are as unstated in that movie. They're more unstated in that movie than they are in Royal I agree with that. That's, that's a, I mean, you're able to in, attack in Royal emotions like that in a much grittier movie like that. In Royal Tenenbaums, people... Lester? People just... Lester. People are just straight up saying how they feel. They'll just zoom in on a person and they'll be like, I am sad because this, this, and that. And it's like, I know you're... I understand your motivations, but I didn't feel the emotion behind it. And it all felt artsy for arts's sake. And it's just like, Wes Anderson, I know he had to create his pastiche. This was the movie where he created his world. Rushmore, that kind of felt like reality a little bit. That wasn't as fantastic. Hold on, hold on, hold on. I don't think the Royal Tenenbaums is purposefully not supposed to feel like real life. It's supposed to feel like a fairy tale. Like anything he has done, correct. But like this, it's literally presented as a book where he, we're reading the novel of the Tenenbaum family. Yes. So like, I, like it, 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 it has these floaty, airy, overly, like moments that aren't fully fleshed out. Like it's like a classic story. It's just a classic story with a modern twist. I know the reasoning behind, like I can play the game that you're playing in my own head. Like I know the arguments. I just have to be honest about my emotional connection to the movie and I did yeah, not no, feel I guess, it. I mean, if it didn't work for you, it didn't work um, for you. I think, I, th- I think it's the most beautiful comedy that's ever been produced. I think that shot of Margot that I've met referenced with these days playing when Richie first sees her come off the bus. Yeah. I think that is one of the most effective moments of music and cinema the same way like Sound of Silence is yeah. in The Graduate. I mean, I, I wish I didn't incredible. feel like I was looking through a jar of urine to see it, but yeah, I feel you. <laughs> the needle in the hay moment, obviously. I think it's overall one of the best movie soundtracks ever. Agreed, 100%. Um, I think it was... Wes Anderson getting to do exactly what he wanted with his whole Meisen scene, uh, you know, really using the shot as part of the story and the art without having the up, without really overdoing it the way he's done in some of his later films. I think every character is hilarious. There are moments. It's the only movie where a character commits suicide to an Elliot, tries to commit suicide to an Elliot Smith song, and five minutes later, I'm laughing out loud at some absurd jokes. I think yeah. Gene Hackman is a, this 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 movie changed my view of G, Gene Hackman as a person, as of Bill Murray as a person. Bill Murray was absolutely great in this, super, and I did not remember his role at all being as prominent as it was. Yeah. Um, and I really liked how grounded and actual he was and how pragmatic he was. Um, and I wish that more of the characters in the movie kind of felt like that. Yeah. And I do want to say that this film contains what I find to be one of the funniest lines at, 
like you know you know movie, movies like The Big Lebowski where like things that are not presented as jokes are what's funny about the movie. There's just like this movie's full of these one little sentences that just reveal more about the character that yeah. aren't like even meant to be jokes that I think I are so funny. I used to feel that way, but like I literally the, did not laugh more than twice the entire I think movie. The absolute funniest moment in the entirety of Owen Wilson's career is him being interviewed while walking, saying, "And uh, everyone knows Custer died at the Battle of Little Bighorn." But what this book presupposes is what if he maybe did? he didn't. <laughs> like, it's just like his, the pretentious way of speaking. Like what this book presupposes, it's dude. It's so funny. The delivery of that is impeccable. I appreciate the movie. I do still love aspects of it. I just am trying to be honest. It didn't land for me as well, and I, I didn't think it was um, nearly as funny as I remembered it being. I had to kind of force myself into laughing a few times at it, which. I don't know. I just uh, felt uh, that it was just not his most genuine work. I felt like he spent more time trying to create his world and his style than he did on really honing in on the script or the movie itself. And I think that as his career went on, he found, yeah, he did fuck up sometimes and over-stylize things, but I think he found a better balance um, between the things. I know you said you don't like Darjeeling Limited. I know you said that you don't really like Grand Budapest Hotel. But I think both of those films have a, a far more balanced use of his style and his strengths as a writer and a director than Royal Tenenbaums. Royal Tenenbaums, to me, this time around, kind of felt like a music video. And uh, it was enjoyable, and I, I, I loved it. Um, but it was not as impactful um, as I remembered it being. And for that reason... Gonna take my overall rating of this movie down to like an eight. Wow. Okay. Well, Royal Tenenbaums is one of my Desert Island movies for sure. Yeah. If I can only take, if I, I can only take you did three, name it. that would be one of them. You did name it as your Desert Island movie in Dan on Dan Crime. So did I? Yep. So that makes perfect sense. Yeah. No, I love that movie. Uh, Danny Glover. Just uh, <laughs> I love all the names that Gene Hackman has for Danny Glover. Uh, dude, it's so just like <laughs> it's so funny, t- racist. It's so classic. Like, it's classic racism. Class, it, it's like it's like all in the family type racism. Yeah. Like it's just like wholesome like racism. Bunker. It's wholesome yeah, racism. Yeah, it, it, it's that good. It's that it's that good wholesome old timey racism before before all this weird subtle liberal racism. <laughs> <laughs> I love when he calls him an old grizzly bear. It's oh funny. God. It's just, uh, yeah. you know, it was a movie that meant a lot to me for a while, and it'll it'll keep in my heart, I'm sure, forever, but I don't think it's one I need to really revisit. But now I'm curious to see, you know, some of his other stuff, like, like Life Aquatic that I was so deeply obsessed with. I can only imagine... The thing about Life Aquatic, though, is Life Aquatic, Life Aquatic was funny. Like, legitimately, yeah. that yeah. was a comedy. I watched it recently, and I liked it way more than I did when it came out. I loved it when it came out, was obsessed with it, and I think Owen Wilson in that movie, that might be his best acting role ever, um, as as uh, Bill Murray's yeah. son. His, yeah. His range of emotion in that is yeah. incredible. Another think, suicide attempt, right? Or does he die, or can't remember? Uh, or he, like, he die, or like, he tries to kill himself saving Bill Murray? I don't remember. Yeah, it's like a, yeah. <laughs> well, people, know. we've done our research, as per usual, on the Movie Voice yeah. podcast. We know everything, so don't have to scream at your car radio. We got it. <laughs> it's it's fine. That was that was me last week when you were talking to Rachel, uh, trying to remember the name of the show, Wilfred. Yeah, thank you for filling that gap in. <laughs> yeah. I'm glad that brought that full circle. Yeah. Okay, Mr. Dan, that is our uh, big bad hit list for... Side piece number four. 
Is that, is that it? We did it? Uh, I mean, I have some other stuff we could talk about, but, you know, we're just cresting over an hour now, so why don't we leave the people wanting more? Yeah, okay. Next time, next time we'll talk about the Matrixes. The Matrixes. Yeah, the Matrixes. Again. Uh, Dan is rewatching the Matrixes, and we will see what his final the, thoughts are. The Matri. The Matri. Okay, people, uh, tune in next week if you're all still alive. We love you, and goodbye. Baby.